Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We have gone through four different areas, or actually three different areas so far, tonight will be the fourth, of our life that we need to um, remove roots. We need to, re- uh, to remove weeds of things that um, are, are opposite of <clears throat> the, um, the way that God would want us to live. Those things that would choke out the seed uh, that is growing and the plant that is growing inside of us. And we have looked at three different areas so far. The first one was the head. Second was the heart. The third was our hands. And tonight we're going to wrap up the series with the fourth letter H. And that word is habitat. Habitat. And when we talk about habitat, we're talking about our environment. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a look at three areas um, of our habitat that we need to be focused on and um, give our attention to. Okay, so the number one, if you're following along in your notes here, number one is the habitat that we're placed in. The habitat we're placed in. Now, if you've <clears throat> been with us since the beginning or um, towards the beginning of this series, then you'll know that this entire 4-H analogy comes from a time when I was uh, 12 or 13, just like 10 years ago, but like when I was 12 or 13 years old, ago, and I, uh, years old, then I would go with some of my friends and their parents to this thing called the 4-H Club, and it was basically an after-school program that taught life skills to kids in the um, avenue of agriculture. And so what we did is we would go there and and get the ground ready, our little area of land that was assigned to us. We would get the ground ready, and then we would basically plant a home garden, and we we would grow like some fruits and vegetables in that garden. And so one of the things that I noticed, though, um, that when we walked into, or actually drove into this big massive area with all this land that had been sectioned off for all of us to start this growing of this home garden, None of the teams had a say in the location of their land. Nobody got to go in and pick which area they wanted. It was all, they were all numbered and assigned based on a decision from the leadership. I'm not sure if it was, you know, kind of first come, first serve. If you were the third person to sign up, then you got, you know, lot of land number three. If you were the 25th person, you got the 25th lot. I'm not sure how that worked or if they drew it out of a hat, but somehow they assigned people different areas of land and we were not able to pick which one that we got. This meant that the areas of land were unique in their location, surroundings, and challenges. So different teams had different struggles to navigate. Some teams were closer to trees and large bushes that would provide shade, but some teams were near the edge of this 4-H land, and they were um, on the border of uh, the shrubbery and things from the, the surrounding areas. Some teams were, were actually had to deal with insects like giant fire ant hills and things like that, and that were on the land before they arrived. The challenges that each team faced were not of their own doing or because they made a poor decision. Those challenges were merely a result of their placement. As believers in Christ, one of the things I want us to do, and especially as Roots Community Church here today, is that I want us to, to take stock and evaluate the habitat where we 
were originally placed. You don't have any say to the, the environment that you were born into, the family that you were born into. You don't have any, have any decisions to try to make yourself be, uh, grow up in one country or another country. The, all that is not a result of any decision or anything, uh, any, any belief or anything that we've had. It's just where we were placed. And one of the things that happens when we, when we survey the, the area of our land and, and we look at where we were originally placed, how we got onto this earth and how God has given us into the, to the, 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 the areas that we're in and the families that we're in, when we look at these things, it's very easy, especially when we're young, to look at other areas, like other areas of land or other people, and compare our life to theirs, compare our starting point to theirs. We may look at someone who has you know, a particular set of challenges and, and we'll, we'll think, well, man, I have worse challenges than them or not as bad challenges as them. And then we get into this comparison game. And one of the, the greatest vices and one of the greatest downfalls of falling into comparison is that it only leads to two places, arrogance or bitterness. Because if we look at our life and we compare it to someone that we perceive has fewer problems or more advantages in one way, shape, or form with family or money or area of, that they live in or the home that they were, were born into or whatever, we can look at them and we can begin to resent them if we stay in an attitude of comparison. We can resent them and look at them and think, man, why did they get that? I should have that. Why are they the ones that have all of these things and I'm lacking? And it can breed resentment and bitterness in us. On the other side of that coin, we can look at people who have far more challenges than us, and we can almost look down on them and think, well, well I, I'm, I'm doing far better than you are just from the outset. And it would breed arrogance. But when we get into comparison, there is only these two results. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been there, but I, I've certainly compared my life to other people and how where I was raised and my family and my home and my surroundings and my habitat and my environment to other places and to other people and to other families. I've done that. And if you've done that, I'm, I'm sure you're nothing short of human because we've all done these things. But here's what I want us to do as believers in Christ. Before we curse our placement, before we loathe the physical traits that we have, before we despised the, the, despised the varied and uncontrollable circumstances of our life, I want us to remember something hugely important, and that's this. God is sovereign. That's the next line there in your notes. God is sovereign, and He's ultimately in control of the universe. Isaiah 46.10 is just one of many scriptures that point to this very fact about God. He has strategically placed us in our, un our unique position, our habitat, our environment for His glory. For His glory. You may be thinking, well, how in the world is God going to get glory for me having all these disadvantages or these perceived challenges that I have in my life? If you're a believer in Christ, you know God. And God knows you. He is the master gardener. He knows how to make things grow in any environment. He knows how much water to give. He knows how much shade is needed. 
He knows how much fertilizer to add, which branches to prune. He can cause growth anywhere, regardless of the starting condition of your habitat. If you just think about it for a second, some people think that, you know, they were born into a scenario that is almost, you know, if we're following our analogy here, they were kind of born in the desert. And there's not a lot of resources around. There's not a lot for them to do. And how in the world is God going to get glory for me being born in this barren place in this desert? But when we become a believer in Christ, remember, God didn't, uh, Jesus didn't die to make good, uh, bad people good. He died to make dead people alive. And when the Almighty God, the Creator, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, you become a believer of His, then the dead area that was you begins to bluster with life because He brought you from death to life. Just imagine looking out over the landscape of the desert and, and looking off in the distance and just seeing nothing but flat land except for there's a tree and there's some lush um, uh, um, foliage and there's a, 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 a looks like thick grass and there's bushes and, and refreshing water. How in the world did that get there in the middle of this desert? When people look at where we have been placed, the environment that we were placed in and where we came from, when we, when we turn our life over to Christ, when we surrender our life to, to Him and when we become a believer, God intervenes in a way and causes things to grow where it seems like they were impossible to grow from. What happens when everybody around in the surrounding areas of land whose, whose life seems desolate turns and looks at the, the same land that they have, very similar, but sees something growing and vibrant in it? It speaks to when God does the impossible with our life and our difficult situations, the environment we brought in, He gets the glory as the ultimate loving Father, because God can give his children the strength to navigate their habitat. And when people ask us, how did this grow in your life? Because I know where you came from. I know the environment you came out of. How did something this good come out of something that barren? We can look and say it was no effort of my own. I couldn't do anything with it. But the master gardener, God Almighty, sent his son. I became a believer in him and he began to build and plant and harvest things that I never could on my own. That is how God gets glory, my friends, from the environment that we were, that we were placed in, that we were born into, even though it seemed like it was desolate. Believing in Christ and following the Lord's commands doesn't guarantee us um, that nothing terrible is going to happen. It's actually probably the opposite. It does, however, guarantee the master gardener will be present to help us navigate the, chi- the challenges of the environment we were placed in. Number two, <clears throat> the other area of our habitat that we need to focus on is the habitat we chose. The habitat we choose. When I went and uh, pulled in for the first time at this 4-H club uh, after-school program, uh, I, I was, I'm not probably really good at gauging how big the, the vast area of land was. There were several hundred teams out there, and it looked like it was probably several football fields in size. 
But one of the things that they did was uh, when, when we got in, we had our number and we were looking for plot, you know, number 19 or whatever. And we'd go in and we'd find that number and realize here where we, is where we're going to be working for the next several months and, and growing our home garden. And they, they, they sectioned off these areas, but they only used rope. There were no barriers between them. They only used string and little pieces of rope to kind of give you a three-sided boundary, but there was no real barrier in between the land. This meant that on top of eliminating our own weeds and pulling those things out, we also had to be concerned with the other teams around us and if they were caring for their land. We had to be concerned with the other teams around us and if they were caring for their land. If the teams next to us weren't removing the weeds from their land, there was a good possibility these weeds would migrate to our garden. In summary, it mattered who we were close to. It mattered who we were close to. In a similar way, we as Christ followers need to be careful who we choose to let in our environment. We need to be careful who we choose to surround ourselves with. If we surround ourselves with those people who refuse to remove their non-beneficial beliefs and actions, we run the possibility of having those same choices grow in us and migrate to our life. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 33 says it pretty plainly. Bad company corrupts good character. So how do we know if we're surrounding ourselves with people who have a destru- that would have a destructive impact on our habitat? Well, let's do this real quick. Let's look really closely at five facts about weeds. Weeds have no redeeming value. They have no redeeming value. That means that they can't be used for food, antiseptics, or medicines. <clears throat> Weeds grow more quickly than plants designed to produce fruit. Weeds grow more quickly than plants designed to produce fruit. Weeds are often poisonous. That's the third one. Weeds are often poisonous. Most of them aren't poisonous enough to the point where they would kill someone if they ate them. They would just make them sick. The fourth fact about weeds is invasive weeds compete for space and take over areas outside of their natural habitat. And the, the fifth fact is this. Weeds grow so quickly, they often absorb single nutrients, leaving an imbalance causing abnormal growth in surviving, in the surviving produce plants. Matt, why would you take the time here to read us facts about weeds when I'm trying to figure out if the people I'm letting in my environment are beneficial to me? Well, one of the things that we can do here is we can correlate the people's actions that we are placing in our habitat with these things. Do do, do the actions of their life have some type of redeeming value? 
Are they more concerned with the quickest path to some type of self-satisfaction? Or are they into doing the long work, the long game of nurturing a relationship with God? If we take their beliefs or their actions or their attitudes inside of ourself, will they cause us to grow or will they be kind of poisonous? Will Will they sour some of the things that are growing in us from God's word? Are they promoting us to to do things that would take up the space and time that we would normally give towards God and His Word? Are they causing us to to have some abnormal growth? And here's what I mean by that. Are Are they bringing us ideas that are unscriptural? Are they bringing us thought processes that are not in line with God's Word? And people who uh, t- tend to surround themselves with these, with these kinds of people in their habitat, there's these weeds growing of these actions that are opposite of God. And they can actually start to, let me give you an example, move from one belief structure that is solid to something that is kind of abnormal in its growth. Our, the, the Word of God, the Bible, our Scripture, that, is, that it was given to us, is perfect and errant and infallible. That is the truth. But when we allow, sometimes when we would allow people to, to come into our environment, in our habitat, to get close to us on a relational level, maybe, and, and they think differently or believe differently, there's a possibility, not a guarantee, but a possibility that we can start moving away from the truth and getting into things like, well, the Bible's mostly right. I mean, it can't all be right, right? I mean, we get the idea, but it's everything it says is not perfectly applicable, right, to our life. <clears throat> that is what I would call abnormal growth. We've got to be careful about the people that we set up shop next to and get into a close relationship with. Any friend who encourages us to live in a way that has no redeeming value, promotes the fastest route to fleshly satisfaction, acts in ways that are detrimental, uh, encourages ideas that push out, uh, push out the time and space for the gospel, and starve our relationship with God, causing abnormal growth, fit the example of someone we may need to consider distancing ourselves from. We may need to create some distance from our environment to them. <clears throat> Galatians 5, 19 through 23 gives us a very clear example of if we're going to let these, these weeds from outside sources, these, the, the, this behavior, these thoughts, these ideas, these attitudes, these beliefs, if we're going to allow the weeds of those things, the sinful things to grow, in our analogy, the weeds, here's what the result is going to be. <clears throat> Galatians 5, 19 through 23. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, this is Paul talking to the Christian believers. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they didn't go and follow all the Jesus rules right along, uh, right uh, line by line and check them off every day? No. 
because if our affections are for those things, they cannot also be for Christ. And our relationship with Christ doesn't um, automatically remove the flesh component of our life, but it gives us something else growing inside of us that we can tend to and see the fullness of that relationship take over the environment of our life and our affections can be for Him. Let me give you a quick personal example of how just one relationship, just one, can... uh, can cause all of these problems in one scenario. <clears throat> I was uh, 16 years old and living in Florida and was growing up, um, and I'd grown up in the church, and I won't go into the full story, but um, I had a very, very bad experience with a church leader and a pastor in a church. <clears throat> there was a, there was a, a lot of, uh, you know, money being stolen, and there was bribery going on, and, 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 you know, trying to get people to be quiet, especially my dad, who was on the board, and kind of found out all this stuff, and, <clears throat> and they, um, uh, the pastor kind of bribed them with a job to kind of make it go away, and it just on and on and on, and it was really bad, and when my dad decided to, to not take the bribe, the pastor called all the other churches that were in the area because he knew we were going to be exiting that particular church I had grown up in, spent 11 or 12 straight years in from a, from a young child all the way up until I was 16. He called all the rest of the churches in the area and told them, hey, the Poole family got to watch out for these guys. Um, don't let them be involved. If you can get them to discourage them from coming, discourage them from coming, push them back, don't let their kids get involved. And it was a very hurtful hurtful time for my entire family but I'll speak on my own behalf it was very hurtful for me I had if I'm following the analogy of our series here I had been tending to my own garden trying to pull these weeds out all the time and trying to let the the seed of God's word grow in my life and this relationship with God take deep root only to find out that the people who were telling me and instructing me and teaching me how to do this at the church I was attending they weren't tending their garden at all. <clears throat> now, I was wrong in my perspective because my faith was determined on the, on the success of the people who were telling me to follow these rules, but I didn't know that at the time. And so <clears throat> I looked at all of those guys who were around me and I thought, you know what? If you guys have been telling me to do all this work, to keep the weeds out of my garden, to, to nurture these plants, and you're not doing it yourself... Um, y'all can keep this. Keep this God, keep this Jesus, keep this Christianity thing. And I turned my back and walked away from it for a period of my life. It wasn't a, a really long period, but it was long enough to cause enough destruction and hurt for myself. I was working at the time, I was working at a grocery store in, um, in Florida, if you're in Florida, all my Publix people, yeah, I got great sweet tea down there. And um, so I was working there and I started to talked to some of my coworkers, and I, this one in particular, a uh, young, young lady I started talking to, and we began to, uh, we began to go out on a, on a date. And we were, you know, there was some attraction there, and we were, you know, kind of liked each other, and was like, let's, you know, let's go out and grab some dinner. <clears throat> During that time, uh, we, we went out on our first date, and we're sitting in a restaurant, and it was discovered that she thought I was 19. I was 16. I thought she was 19, she was in her 20s. Well, at first, you know, if anyone with any bit of life experience can look at this and go, man, this is probably not going to end well 
Because why in the world would this, would this college girl be interested in this, in this junior in high school? Junior in college be interested in a, a guy who's in junior in high school. But nevertheless, I was ignorant and, and just full of stupidity. And I walked right into the relationship. And we decided even though there was this big age gap and experience gap, we would continue to try to be together. She was living a life that was not pursuing Christ at all. And I looked back at all those girls that I had crushes on in, in youth group and in my church that I didn't want that I wasn't going to anymore. And all of them kind of looked at me like they were, you know, kind of better, you know, than me or snotty or whatever, and would never kind of give me an opportunity in the boyfriend girlfriend category. And so not only did I now, a few weeks later, have a girlfriend, she was in college, and so I felt like I was the man. Like, you guys didn't know what you were missing. Here I am, you know, dating this college girl. I was an idiot, but at the moment, I didn't know it. I was just happy. I was the man. And so she started to present things to me to do that I knew were wrong. I knew it from Scripture. I knew it from the, the youth pastor's teaching. I knew it from my pastor's teaching. I knew it from the church. I knew it from my family. They all taught me these things were wrong. But when presented with the opportunity to do these things, I, I, my first reaction was, no. No, I'm not going to do that. But I kept this relationship active and close in my environment, in my habitat. I chose to be this close in a relationship with someone who wasn't serving God. And after a while, she would just keep asking and asking and asking. I don't want to paint the picture that it was all her fault. Oh no, it was me. I wanted to participate in the things that she was opening the doors for me to participate in, but I just was like, no. And that big, huge, no, that I, that I, I, I staked, you know, this is wrong. I'm not going to do those things. The more and more I stayed close in the relationship, my no went from big and strong no to no. And then it went to no. And then it went to oh, no. And then it moved to I don't know. And eventually I gave in and did the thing that I know was wrong. I kept this relationship in enough proximity where their belief and their desires and their actions actually found its way into my heart, into the area of my, my life garden space, if you will. All because I chose to remain in that environment. <clears throat> you may say, well, Matt, I mean, you gave in finally. Did you have some fun? Yeah, at first. Let me read Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26 and give you an example of Moses and how they define sin real quick. <clears throat> it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. This gives us, it seems like a kind of a throw-in statement, but it's a very clear description that sin is enjoyable at first, but after a while, it leaves you more empty than before. That pleasure scurries away. 
And when that moment is done, you go back to thinking, I'm back to this loneliness. I'm back to this, this deep hole of, of, of isolation or whatever it is, or this, this struggle, this void that's right here in the center of you that only God can fill. And we go back to those things to try to eliminate that feeling. But when those, when those things wear off, that hole is still very much a reality. <clears throat> If there was no immediate pleasure at all, no one would really drink alcohol, right? People wouldn't dabble with substances or get involved with sexual activity outside of marriage. But the reason that a casual drinker can turn into an alcoholic, that someone who just tries a substance can eventually lead down to a lifestyle of addiction, and a single act of indiscretion can turn into a life of sexual immorality is because the fun wears off. It wears off and we try to go back for more because I can, in those few moments, in those few hours, in that scenario, I forgot all about this, this craziness and this, this hurt and this emptiness in my heart. But when the bottle's empty and the substances are out of our system and the night of passion is over, <clears throat> the emptiness seems to just grow deeper. If we don't guard our habitat or our, our environment from these relationships that we kind of park ourselves next to, we can become overrun with the ungodly thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and actions of the people who are not living for God around us. <clears throat> it doesn't matter how strong of a believer we perceive ourselves to be. If we continue to be exposed to these elements, the weeds will grow in us and work against what we are trying to do. They will work to choke out the life of the seed of God's word and the relationship we have with him that's growing inside us. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 12 through 14 gives us this warning. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. But God is faithful. And He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand because when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. <clears throat> is God going to supernaturally you know, pull like a Star Trek move on you and like beam you from one place to another to get you out of scenarios that we have been in because we have chosen, we have made bad choices in our habitat and our environment. No, but he is going to give you a way to get out of the scenario. And when you get out of it, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to shine a light on that thing that needs to be removed. That weed, if you will, that needs to be pulled up and not just chopped down, but dug up from the root so it never impacts the relationship that we have with God. <coughs> Number three, our last point today. We want to talk about the habitat we create the habitat we create see our goal as believers in christ is to cultivate our relationship with god by properly tending to our habitat removing the weeds and providing an environment for the seed of god's word to grow and when we look at the habitat that we create there's two areas really quickly that i want to i want to address of 
of things in, in our environment, areas and different environments and habitats that we need to create. The first one is this. <clears throat> we need to create a witness. We need to create a witness. <clears throat> Matt, just by my environment, my habitat being clear, how can that create a witness? Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. This is Jesus himself talking to his followers. <clears throat> you are, a are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that they will think you are very disciplined and pat you on the back. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what it says. Let your good deeds shine out so, for all to see so that people will think that you have a power and ability that no one else has and they will sing your praises. Nope. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. As we clean up our environment, our habitat, as we pull out the weeds diligently, as we're making sure that we're close in relationship to the right people who are going to be benefiting us, and we create this area in our life that is, that is free from weeds, or at least we're, we're doing our diligent work to, through God's Word and through the leading of His Holy Spirit to remove these things that are opposite of the relationship with Him that is growing in us. The seeds of God's word that are taking root and about to produce fruit in us. When that happens, we become a light to the world and it tells everyone through those good deeds that God is good and they will praise Him. How does that work? If our clear thinking helps those with clouded judgment, if our humility and compassion helps those who are controlled by their emotions. If we serve the needs of others uh, when, when other people are only living to fulfill their own selfish desires, people will look and eventually go, wait, I'm doing all this for me. They're doing all this for other people? My heart is running out of control with these emotions and they've been keeping their emotions in check. I, I deal with pride and arrogance and feeling like I'm better than somebody, but somebody else is looking at me with humility and treating me with compassion and empathy. I can't stop this, these, these thoughts from my head from dominating what I want to do and what I want to believe, but this guy seems to have his head pretty clear. What is the difference between what I'm doing and what you're doing and at that moment we have created a witness. Because we can look at them and say, I couldn't fix my thoughts on my own. I couldn't fix the, the junk and the hurt that was going on in my heart on my own. I couldn't put my hands to the right things because I was so selfish. I couldn't do that on my own. But I met a man named Jesus. And through faith in Him, He washed the sins of my life away, covered them with the blood that ran down from the cross. He reconciled me to put me in a right standing with God. 
And now God is the one who's shining the light on these things and He's helping me through His Word and through His Spirit pull these things out, my friends. If we would do this work, this hard, tedious, sometimes I'm tired of doing it work, and build the relationship that we have with God, let it grow, it'll be a witness to all the people around us who see something different. <clears throat> the last thing that we'll talk about as we wrap up our series and our service today is this. The, the second area that we need to create is we create community. <clears throat> our environment helps us create community. Everybody who was at the 4-H program that I was at, we talked earlier about the different obstacles that they had. Some people had trees and bushes that provided shade. Some of them you know, were were next to sprinklers because they were on the edge where businesses were and those sprinklers kind of water their their plants for them. Some of them had, you know, rocks and things they had to dig out of the ground before they could plant the seeds. But one thing was very clear driving into that area twice a week for several months. That was this. Everyone there had the same purpose. They wanted to see what was planted grow, and they wanted to produce good fruit. I want to be the first to tell you that the church is wildly imperfect. And you know why? It's imperfect because it's made up of people. Very imperfect people. All of us are imperfect. And if you are a believer in Christ, you are still imperfect You've just been brought from death to life. But regardless of the specific challenges we face and our imperfections, it is very beneficial for us to be in an environment where everyone has the same goal. It's beneficial for us to be around others who want to see uh, uh, what has been planted in their life grow. They want to see the, what is produced from living a life of, uh, that is submitted to God. They want to see what the Word of God that was in seed form in their life take root and blossom into something that would produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I am not naive enough or ignorant enough to think that every single person who comes to a, 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 a body of believers and fellowships with other Christian people doesn't have some weeds growing in the area of their land. But, I, but when we are all focused on trying to serve Christ, to give our life to Him, to let that relationship grow, we are all there for the same reason. When I looked at someone uh, a couple of uh, uh, spots down from us in the, the area of land where we were at in my 4-H, with my 4-H team, <clears throat> someone had taken a, a, um, a, a, it looks like a milk carton, put the cap on it, turned it upside down and poked a little hole in it and hung it above some, an area of, their, of their, um, their, their home garden. I didn't realize what was going on, but I looked down and said, hey, what are you doing? And they said, oh, well, this particular area, because of the sunlight, how it gets on right here, gets dried out. And so we, we want to slowly drip some water in this area over the next several days when we're not here. I looked at them and said, that is amazing. What a great idea. Can you help me? Sure, I can help you. And this is exactly what 
the community of believers, the body of Christ is supposed to do. Let's look at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us, talking about believers in Christ, think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. When we see others around us removing the weeds of self and sin that could eventually destroy the Word of God growing in them, we are encouraged to press on and continue doing the work that matters. Just imagine being in that environment where you have this area of land and you look over and you see, man, that big old bush that that person just pulled out was was thorny. I saw them when they touched it. They 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 snapped their hand back and they were bleeding a little bit and they went and got a band-aid and then they bought gloves the next time they were there and two friends with gloves helped them dig out that big thorn bush. I, I recognize that and man, that seems to be growing over here in a corner area of my land. Uh, sir, how did you get rid of this? And someone from the outside could come in who has the same goal, the same purpose, the same end focus in mind and can say, oh, we had to buy gloves. Don't grab that because it'll, it'll cut you. And can lend you gloves and lend you a hand to remove that from your area as well. When you are in an environment of believers, a community of believers, you can help each other by recognizing, hey man, do you need help? Or looking at someone, can someone please help me? And we can have strength from those around us. They're not perfect. There may be some weeds still growing on their land, but we can all look and say, we need to remove those things. Matt, you've spent a lot of time here talking about our habitat. Why is our habitat important? It was important to God from the very beginning. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, the first two chapters of the first book of the Bible, we see God created man and woman and placed them in the Garden of Eden. Notice where they were in the perfect environment. That is where mankind was designed to live. If you missed everything else, don't miss this. That is the place mankind was designed to live. We, as human beings, were designed to live in a direct relationship with God, knowing all of His goodness in the perfect environment, the perfect garden, designed by the perfect creator of the universe as the habitat for mankind. We are supposed to be there. We will never achieve that here in this life fully. We, we can get closer to it. We can have it be a goal. We can have little samples of it throughout our life that we give to other people, but we will never achieve that perfect goal until we get to heaven and we are face-to-face with God Almighty and His Son. I have a, a, um, a, a little niece. Her name's Christiana. And she's eight months old. She's just wildly gorgeous, beautiful, cute little girl. <clears throat> and... Her dad started to give her little tastes of food. 
take a little bit of something sweet and give it to her, a little piece of rice and give it to her here and there. And what ha- it was so funny to watch because they would post videos online. Her dad would take just a little piece of food and she would see it and she would grab his finger and just wham right into his, her mouth. And she would begin to eat that as fast as she could because she recognized it tasted different than what she had. We are never going to achieve the fullness of that where we're supposed to be in right standing with God completely until we get to heaven. But we're going to have tastes of it along the way. We're going to be able to give tastes and samples to those people who are around us so that they can look towards God and say, wait, that little thing, give me some more of that. You can have more of that. You can have samples and more tastes of that But the fullness of it, it won't be realized until you give your life to Christ. And after this life is over, we have gone to see our Creator face to face. You know, some of you after hearing this, you you may look at the environment you were placed in and say, I feel stuck. And you've never realized that maybe God is the one who placed you there so He could grow something beautiful in the middle of a crazy scenario. Some of you may need to look at some of the relationship choices that we've had and the choices that we've built this environment on. Some of you may look and say, man, I have not been creating that witness or I have been neglecting the community that I need to be involved in. And if you are, any one of those, are in any one of those scenarios, I want to tell you it's okay. You're human, you're flawed, you're imperfect. God is not expecting perfection from you. What he's expecting is submission, faith, and trust. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those who come to him must know that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek Him. There is a reward for us removing all these weeds, these selfish, sinful things from our life and allowing the relationship with God to grow and produce fruit. Because wherever we go, wherever we are, any relationship that we are connected to, we can disperse the fruit of what's been growing in us from God's word and from our relationship with him to others, to other people. And in the words of the scripture, let us taste and see that the Lord is good.